Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined this week with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and our new friend, Eric Newberry, which we're really excited to tell you more about here shortly. Uh, but first, we just want to acknowledge uh, that we are coming off a really beat, a really big, we'll beat as well, yeah. a really epic uh, Sunday, the launching, the opening of our brand new facility that we've been talking about for the past two years. And you've heard, you've actually heard them making it in the background during our podcast. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> With all the drilling and, uh, and everything else going on in the background. Um, it is finally completed. We are in the new building. Sunday was just um, a historic day for Conduit Church. And we're all kind of living off the, the high, the adrenaline rush from that even still. Yeah. It was weird because I have been a part of multiple grand openings of churches that we have paid for. Right. You know, like in Uganda. <laughs> right. And, and here's the thing that they're not afraid to go ahead and throw in a marching band. Like, <laughs> why didn't we think of that? Right. Right. I mean, I'm like the first time we were there, I was there with Maddie and like, I'm hearing like, it's a marching band, like an actual marching band. Uh, and of course there's dancing and they'll go ahead and kill a cow and uh, cook it all day long. Nice. And it was feast. And, uh, and exciting stuff. And so obviously we didn't have a dead cow and we didn't have a marching band, but man, there was a lot of energy in here. Yeah. We didn't need the room. dead cow apparently. Like it was, we had some confetti cannons. That was, fun. we did. Yeah. We, we splurged, I think $80 on our confetti budget. No, so not yeah. even, no, I spent like 40 bucks, <laughs> 40 bucks on the confetti, budget. <laughs> but had big, big return though on that. <laughs> it was man. Yeah. The ROI on the confetti was huge. It was a full room. It was a full, uh, just a full, Full hearts. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a day that we've been looking forward to for a really long time. Um, bigger imprint for a bigger impact, yeah. and we launched a new sermon series uh, this week as well, Essential Church, and we're going to dive into that in, in just a minute. But we're just kind of diving into some core essentials that define conduit, specifically Acts two forty two. And you, you led us into this passage in reminding us what it means to be devoted and the things that we should be devoted to, both personally and as a church body. Yeah, that is, like, when you think back to, like, 11 years ago, I mean, Mo was just in here with a box from, like, 2009 of, like, child sponsorship stuff before we had merged with Restore Haiti and some things like that. And uh, actually, it was kind of weird. It took me back, like, wow, that was... Like we were getting a lot done when we weren't a church. Yeah. Uh, well, we didn't know we were anyway. Uh, but I think that was what was so poignant about those days was that you don't even have to know you're a church. If you're a group of Jesus people coming together and acting like Jesus together, like you're a church. And of course, think, you know, structure grows around that because it has to, to keep things organized or whatever. I mean, obviously, because if it's just me sending out a bunch of money, it's a hot mess, right? So we had to, we had to have people help us keep accountable and all that stuff. But uh, but it, here's the thing, like, even though there were like, a th like almost a thousand people there Sunday, like the structure is no different. Like it has to be like the simplicity of the gospel is still the simplicity of the gospel. Right. Mm -hmm. And the more complex we can make this, uh, the, which we can, I mean, we're humans. We can, we can complicate the crap out of this. And, uh, and I have no desire for that. Like I just go, okay, let's go back. What, 
what was it in, in 2010 that we thought? And what was it in, you know, the year zero, right? 32, whatever, like what that they thought of, the, of a church, which was they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to teaching. They were devoted to breaking of bread and they were devoted to fellowship. It was those four things. Like that was their church growth model. They didn't have any yeah. consultants. Nobody came in with like clipboards and telling them if you advertise and target these giving units and these zip codes, they just devoted themselves to those four things. And then 43, 44, 45, 46, they came in, they were giving to each other. They were helping each other who were in need. There were miracles happening. And then verse 47, the Lord added to the numbers, those who were being saved. Like that's your church model. Like we don't need right. a consultant for that's that. It. And so right. we... I just felt like it was important, and I know as elders we thought it was important. We've got to make sure and remind that even though we got a really nice TV, and I really am very pleased with the TV, like we, we like whatever Kanye has, like what does he watch in the Super Bowl on? That's what we wanted. <laughs> LED wall. Yeah, somebody get Kanye on the phone. What, what are you watching? But uh, and even that though was important because we just wanted to be able to tell the stories. I wanted when we put a family, a slave family, up there, that they feel it, that they can see their faces, and so and that happened on Sunday. But that's that's what this series is. It's 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 not like we're launching some new strategy. It's literally just anchoring ourselves to the strategy that the Lord already gave us, you know, two thousand years ago for a church. And and one of those new slave families that have been freed that was shared on Sunday um, is kind of an intro into our, yes. our guest today, Eric Newberry, who is with us all the way from Cincinnati, Ohio. That's right. Which I've got be here. I've got some love from Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, but Eric's been Eric's, Eric's been on ground zero for where some of that is happening, the brick kilns that we've talked about. Mm. And, um, and so we've crossed paths over the past several months. Maybe, I don't know how many months, maybe you could share that, but, um, but you, you decided you wanted to come down for our grand opening. And so uh, we're so glad that you did, to, we're able to do that. And so you're, you're sticking around for a couple of days and we just wanted to, to invite you on to kind of share kind of what's happening there. Um, in Southeast Asia, in these brick kilns, and um, and talk with us about what a central church means. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's an honor to be here and uh, to to witness the the grand opening of something you guys have 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 focused so heavily on, worked so hard for for three years to see it come to pass, and knowing that that was never the goal, that was never the goal of Conduit was to open some big sanctuary. That's what you're talking about, Darren. Is that's. Yeah. That's ne- that was never the vision, but to see a to see for me to see a family on that big LED screen, you know. Yeah, um, yeah you know, I think back on it, Eric. You know, because you and I've had a lot of conversations. Because you are uh, so you're thirty three. Thirty three. Uh, and it kind of reminds you're a, a better looking, uh, funnier, more successful version of I of me at thirty three. <laughs> But but one of the things we had in common was that when I was your age was when I very first started asking the questions about church. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here again? Like, right. Why, like, I feel like, like, so Jesus rose from the dead. Like, he, he was crucified, right? which is no, that's no, that's no picnic. No. Um, he was scorned and marginalized. You know, he descended, all that. And did he really do that just so I could go to church? Because that felt like a lot of work. Or was it for Easter service? Only? Easter, well, yeah, because yeah, for yeah. sure Easter you get at least <laughs> at least one time a year. <laughs> like we could uh, do the play and everything, but it was like for me, I was just asking the question, like, why are we doing this exactly? And it wasn't necessarily a faith crisis as much as it was a mission crisis. Okay. Yeah, it's more of the the wrestling with God. 
you know, yeah. wrestling with the scripture, the text. What's it really say? What's it mean yeah. for me? And and you've been having those conversations in Cincinnati. Yeah. Like you said, okay, so you're 33, you know, you've been saved, you got this testimony, God delivered you from alcohol, addiction, and mm-hmm. you've got a beautiful wife, family that was miraculously healed. And- yeah. Miracle after miracle. Yeah, yeah. We know God's real. Yeah. That's not the question. So at some point, though, you're asking yourself, what? What does church do? What's the point? What should it look like? You know, we found ourselves in um, place after place and uh, visiting, speaking, traveling, seeing church, wondering if this was really it. Is this all that Jesus died for or is there more to it? Yeah. And linking up with, with conduit, you know, coming through Tennessee, stopping in, having lunch with you, sitting here, watching what's taking place here was Numa. It was a breath of fresh air saying, mm. this is a lot closer. Are we saying we're perfect, oh, that we've yeah. got no, it locked no. in? No, 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 but is it a lot closer? I think it's a lot closer. And, and to me, that's what gives me life because it, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than our platforms. It's bigger than our, our vision, our goal, or our dreams. It's Jesus. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that, you know, when I look back on it, again, it's just so crazy that Mo just happened to find this box. Like, uh, like, what do you do with child sponsorship information from 2009, right? It felt weird. Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we're cleaning out closets because we're all moving into yeah, our new offices. Yeah. And I come across this old box from 2009, 2010, with some of it was from the earthquake, the Haiti earthquake relief, oh, and man. just, you know, paperwork from, you know, a decade ago. Yeah. And it was so timely because it just reminded me that even before we were a church, we were a church, but I think the mercy that God has had on me uh, multiple times in my life is that, you know, I fancy myself as someone who likes information, who likes to study, likes to research. And for a guy that focuses on that as much as I do, I can be really stupid. Like I can (laughs) genuinely miss something right in front of my face. So I didn't know we were a church, like genuinely didn't didn't want to be it it actually angered me the idea i thought was stupid because i thought a church would ruin it it would poison it and what i learned later was that if i had known we were a church in those days i wouldn't i swear to you i would not have had the courage to make the decisions we made because it's not how you do it right uh but by the time we realized we were a church it was i mean it was honestly it was too late like it was I had kids in Haiti at that point that needed me to not do something really stupid, like get a bunch of overhead. You know, I remember we were meeting with a, a church planning organization at that point. Um, great people, man, they love the Lord. And they were asking me, uh, so, so here's the thing, they would give you money. You probably heard of this thing, like, they, they, but it's not giving you money. They're actually loaning you money. And so if I could raise, I don't remember, 30 grand, they would match at 30 grand and then up to 10, whatever. But then I had to start paying it back. And they said, and you can just use your, you know, and they would use air quotes mission budget, uh, 10% to pay it back, no interest. And then after that, you continue to pay that to plant other churches in America. On paper, that sounds like a very smooth and simple and clean model. But I'm like, but what if I don't take your money? Because the last thing I needed to do was to take my mission budget and give it to this. I, we needed that. Like I had kids literally because the earthquake happened the minute like I signed the papers to sell my company. Like I'm suddenly there's an earthquake in Haiti. Like mm. it was like that afternoon. And so for us, that was like, and it just took me back. I guess I'm kind of more reminiscing than I thought. Cause I'm like, I just started a church. I'm supposed to go out and raise $150,000 
uh, it's like you're starting a Taco Bell franchise. Like if I do all these things, yeah. uh, then I can, you know, whatever. But I didn't have time for that because people were dying. And so I just remember feeling that the Lord's, I've never heard him actually speak. Uh, I feel like if it did, it would sound like Samuel L. Jackson, but. Yeah. <laughs> or Morgan Freeman. Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. Yeah, probably Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Morgan Freeman. Is that the snakes on a plane guy? No, no. no. That's Sam. That's Sam. Yeah, yeah, definitely Morgan Freeman. <laughs> but just like, man, if you'll take care of this, I'll take care of the church. Like, we'll be fine. And we literally stumbled out of the gate in 2008, uh, 10, I'm sorry. Easter Sunday, which I didn't know you weren't supposed to start a church on Easter Sunday. I didn't know anything. Uh, we had $4,000 in the church account, which is probably in there somewhere. And we had $93,000 in the Haiti account. And I have been, we have never missed a payment. We have never, we've, we've, God has taken care of us the whole time. And now 10 years later, I realize, okay, there is something to this about that if a church, what are we doing here? Mm. We're coming together as Jesus people. If they were literally bringing money, which it says here in the book of Acts, that they're going to start saying this. They brought the money to the apostles, and then the apostles gave it to the widows. You know, And it isn't an either or, because later Paul talks about, hey, make sure that you're taking care financially of the teachers. Make right. sure you know, that you're paying your bills, but also taking care of the widows. Uh, and that's just been our gig for 10 years now. And it, I got to tell you, uh, I'm 50. I kind of like it. It's not a bad way. It's not a bad way to grow old. Yeah. Yeah, on mission. I think you're keeping the the first thing first. You know, you you would think of your own children and if they were suffering, you wouldn't be worried about your house payment. You would be worried about your children. Hmm. And and for for the Lord, he's got to be looking down saying, "I'll take care of the mortgage. <laughs> I'll take care of the huh. the bills and those kind of you know, those things that don't necessarily matter as much." Will you just pay attention to my lost ones? Will yeah. you pay attention to the suffering ones? The ones who are reeling from that earthquake in Haiti? The ones who are, you know, they're lined up for human trafficking? Pay attention to them. Yeah. I'll take care of the rest. I sat down with a guy um, a few years ago. We were uh, still at the high school, I think. Yeah, we were. For sure we were. Because I was realizing we're in trouble. Like financially, this was not going to work. And he told me, uh, as a pastor of a actually really large church here in town and said, um, that you know, your model is not sustainable and you're going to fail. You have to choose. Do you want to be compassionate international or do you want to be a church? Because you can't be both. And so I walked away. I remember it was at Panera. All bad meetings happen at Panera. <laughs> so true. You know what I mean? So true. true. So I've got get, so many stories. that So right? many bad meetings. I should have known going true. into Panera. Like a, <laughs> I just paid $20 for a sandwich, like $10 oh. for this piece of bread and $10 for anyway. But I walked out kind of discouraged. Um, but here was the thing. The, on paper, he was right. Uh, because this was not a sustainable model on paper. But God doesn't live on paper, mm. right? He's He's infinite. And so what what wasn't part of the model was making room for the miraculous. And for us, the miraculous meant that he dropped a building in our lap, which was where the problem became because we had nowhere to go <laughs> from here. And I actually thought, well, we'll just shut this thing down. Uh, but the Lord had other plans. And so that even with this building now, part of the, the genuine surprise for me, I mean, if you remember, I mean, Mo, was it three years ago that we finally married the mission together into the church? Yeah, it was three Three falls ago, three autumns. Because there was a point, we kept the mission separate. Yeah, there were two separate 501c3s, Conduit Mission, yeah. Conduit Church, and uh, which served the right purposes for that time. 
yeah, but if you if you want to, if I, if a little confession. Um, when we first started, I kept it separate because I thought the church would ruin it. And so I thought, I don't know if I even said it out loud, but as long as it's separate, if, even if the church fires me, that I still have the mission because <laughs> that's what I wanted to do anyway. Um, but it's like seven years in when I, and I, you know, you start doing something for a specific reason, then you forget that. And then eventually like, why was I doing this again? This yeah, way? And right. then I realized, oh, wow, that was all fear. Yeah. And at this point I'm surrounded by men elders who totally understand nobody's trying to talk us out of this stuff i've never had anybody say we shouldn't do this you know at this point it's not uh i can get rid of that fear and i can actually i wish i could call this pastor uh unfortunately his business model so to speak didn't work and that church imploded and he is unemployed but which is the irony is never lost on me on that but I'd love to call him and say, hey, it actually turns out you can do both. Yeah. Uh, and But only if the miraculous happens. And here's the thing. It's going to be miraculous if you are dedicated to helping. It's Proverbs 19, right? I think it's 19. He who gives to the poor loans to God and he will repay mm-hmm. him in full. Yes. Turns out that is a great church model as well. Like, Yeah. Um, when we last year uh, in June, so it's a year ago this week. Hard to believe. Bonkers when we reopened to public gatherings. Fully open, kids ministries. No masks uh, required, no, no masks. masks on our volunteers. No, full open, Psychos. back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> right? We just, we didn't do it glibly by no, any means. Very calculated, very strategic. And one of the things that we asked and I wrestled with, and I stayed up late, I was deep into epidemiologists and. And while I appreciate people saying, well, you're not an epidemiologist, you shouldn't have an opinion. We literally got this plan from a a software guy. So while I appreciate their enthusiasm, they actually need to take their own advice if that's the case. But we made the decision based on science and evidence. And we also made a decision on the risk and the calculation of it because it actually, it forced us to ask the question, are we an essential service? Because that became the, the buzzword a year ago. Yeah. If you're not essential, you're going home. And, and and then who gets to define what essential means? Right. And what we saw was, and I'll tell you the jumping off point for me, because uh, I was questioning, I was okay, but you know, we're, it's like you don't want to think that, that someone's lying to you. And, 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 and I still think at some point um, some of these guys were lying on purpose I mean, Fauci has said he was lying. I, did, I didn't think, uh, I thought people would go out and buy masks. So I said, don't, masks weren't necessary. Or I said this. And so, I, you know, people couldn't understand, you know, they couldn't take how uh, herd immunity, how high it would be. So I told them it was this number. That's actually known as lying. But most of them, I think they actually believed this stuff. Um, but it doesn't mean they were right. And so we were looking at it going, to me, the risk for a virus that we hate, for a virus that has killed people we love would we shut down the world and risk our children's lives? Or would we say that, you know, this is worth the risk and we've got to reopen. And we looked at it and thought, if we're an essential service, it means that we're going to not only around the world, but even at home. And I remember I had a conversation with Rhonda Wicks, who is a beautiful soul, the Honduras ministry. And she's like, Darren, this is what kept me alive this last year. Like it was the one place that was normal for me Mm. every week. And I've heard that. Dozens and dozens of times. And so every time I hear somebody say, we shut down because we loved our neighbors, implying that we should have shut down to love our neighbors, I'm saying we opened up to love our neighbors. Amen. And by the way, both can be compatible. Like it doesn't mean they were wrong, but it also doesn't mean we were wrong. 
but it asks the question, what is an essential service? And by the way, if we're not essential, well, then we need to shut down. Yeah. And there may be some churches that probably should have shut down um, if you're not essential to the community. So you were in Asia, and I wonder if you were to ask the families there that were set free, so 121 families so far that the conduit has set free, if it was essential, what would their response be? The, you know, they would scream to the heavens, praise God that you opened. You know, to, to, to value your own life over someone else's life is selfish. And so loving your neighbor in, in that nation, you guys meeting actually saved hundreds and hundreds of lives, actually saved lives. I can remember we did a program and we were just feeding them. And I know you guys have partnered with feeding, with, with Bibles, with water, all sorts yeah. of these necessities. And you did that through gathering. We, we met a lady um, who was our last person in line. And, and this is a true story. She said, if I did not get food and water today, I was going to go home and kill my children and kill myself. And she was serious, and it happened consistently. Yeah. And I know you talked on Sunday about the, de- the declination and mental health and, and the things going on in culture from not gathering, and there was one box where mental health had actually gone up. Yeah. And so I think the definition of essential in our culture was simply convenience. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the, the nature of being essential. It was what is too in, what's too convenient that we can't afford to lose. Hmm. We've got to be able to order pizza. Yeah. You know, that's worth get to the, liquor the store. risk. Yeah. The liquor store's got to be open, maybe even deliver. That's got to be worth the risk, right? And so all of those things are essential, and yet the church was in the spotlight. And, and you know, the definition of courage is being courageous. <laughs> it's, it's not hard to figure out. In a culture where they're, they're telling you, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, and God says to do it, you have to follow that because it says in the Scripture, if you know what you're supposed to do and don't do it, yeah. sin to you. Yeah. You know? And, and his, the command to gather wasn't just some arbitrary and capricious burden. No. I mean, maybe if you're Catholic, I don't know, maybe it feels like a burden. But our gathering, uh, our, our entire basis of our gathering is Hebrews 1042. Yeah. Like when you come together, inspire one another to love, to good deeds. Um, there's a reason why, I mean, Mo and I have spent years in the touring world and there's a reason why Compassion International, why World Vision, why organizations like that sponsor tours because something happens in a group. And by the way, this is a true story. When you put them in a country tour, it doesn't work. So it isn't just about the crowd. It's about the Christian. Like mm. it's literally there's something that happens because they've been trying that stuff out. And, and if anybody's listening and want to correct me, but I've had some conversations with people at World Vision and with Compassion both that have just they have not had the same success in country music. Mm-hmm. But it is all about the live. That's the reason when you get to the concert and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's the compassion pitch again. I got to And a thousand kids on that tour are like, oh, my God, thank you that there's a compassion pitch again. Amen. Um, And I can't even begin to calculate how many children did not get sponsored last year because of this lockdown. And uh, so to tell me that we were doing it to save lives is just complete and utter um, 
crap. Yes. Because what, all we did was exchange lives. Exchanged. There are lives here that maybe didn't hear, but there were lives over there that are gone forever because of this. And that was, if you're looking for white privilege, I, you can stop Googling and look in the mirror if you were someone advocating for these lockdowns. For us as a church, we thought we better, we better be essential and we better be right. And, and, and you know, look, I mean, Mo and I both, like, he, he and I are not exactly known for making risky decisions. Like, we, we, we map everything out. Like, we got, Mo's got a plan, the contingency plan, the contingency to the contingency plan. <laughs> it's embarrassingly true. Right? And then tonight you wake up and there's the contingency to the contingency to the contingency plan, right? We, we don't make arbitrary and capricious decisions here. But we're looking at these numbers going, I don't see why. And I remember calling even some of my friends who were pastors and going, why are you guys not opening up your kid ministry again? And for the most part, there was some version of, well, no one else is. We don't really know yet. So I was like, well, that doesn't feel like a good enough reason for us. So yeah, a lot of followers yeah. and not enough leaders. If if I could be so bold. Yeah, it doesn't, like, I don't want to be like a jerk, but it felt no, like that. It was just, in June, it felt like that. Yeah, I mean, everybody kind of waiting for, for someone else to make a move and no one making moves. Yeah. I felt like that last year, so I know people don't necessarily like Enneagram language, whatever, but like the, the five in me, the discerner, the spiritual gift of teaching in me, it's, it's really, when you think back to 10 years, it hasn't been that handy. It's like the one superpower that like you don't really need, like the Wonder Twin Powers activator or whatever. But I promise you, last year was like the first time that I felt like it actually kind of came in handy. Like I was uh, looking at actually, I mean, I was neck deep in oh, the middle yeah. of the night, you know researching is where we found Josh Stevenson. If you haven't found Josh data analyst on Twitter, do yourselves a favor and follow that guy resource. We were looking for data, but we made decisions on that. But at the same time, just saying, Hey, look, I don't see any data that says kids are in danger even a little bit. Right. Um, even by then we knew, and it's no fault. That's why I say that mostly to say that, Hey, those pastors that didn't open up your kids thing. I mean, you're not a nerd, so congratulations. Your wife probably is not nearly as lonely as mine is. Right? So, <laughs> actually, probably, your wives are probably happier. But uh, at that moment, that was we were going so deep in the information, we realized that was it. And so, and just because uh, Fauci said it didn't make it right. Mm -mm. And uh, just last week, he was talking. Uh, if you're questioning me, you're actually questioning science. I mean, it was been all over the internet this week. I'm like, it's oh exactly what he said. 100%. Like you have just made yourself the Pope, man. You just called yourself infallible. So one more reason, like, well, we'll open that baby up. It's still a bit of a, it's still a battlefield. I mean, we have the context of, of Tennessee. Okay. In the South. True. And True. we are not an East coast or a West coast. We're not a coastal state. We surely are not Canadian. What's happening in Canada is tyranny. 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 Absolutely. It, what is happening right now? Like, just folks, I'm, I'm begging you to go do your research on what's happening to the churches north of the border. What's happening? Underground church. Underground church. Yes. I mean, we have friends right now that are learning, figuring out, researching. How to do church underground. Yes. In Canada. In Canada, not China. Yeah. And furthermore, I mean, also we, China, but yeah, also mm -hmm. China. But also our, you know, Oregon, Washington State, California, all up and down the East Coast, you know, Maine, New York. Like this is this this 
This is still happening. Yeah. And so while it's not happening maybe in our community as much, there are still full bore lockdowns happening right now, June of 2021. Absolutely. They just locked down Uganda again. And Eric Uganda and I were supposed to, to the be list. in Uganda next week. And yes, the UK right. guys locked down again, tighter than a frog's butt. <laughs> and Uganda follows with them. Um, and thank God for Florida, right? I mean, I've never said that in my life. Yes. Like, sw- it's a lawless <laughs> swamp. lawless swamp is what I hear. But thank God for the lawless swamp of Florida because... We now have we can now look at the numbers. We don't have to guess anymore. Like, oh, that's Absolutely. what happens when you open up. Nothing happens. Like, yeah, you've you've got side by side populations with California and Florida. One had the most strict mass mandates, and one was totally open, and their numbers are exactly the same. Yeah, there's your answer. There's your science, yeah. Fauci. The the heartbreaking part is is knowing our Christian brothers and sisters in Canada specifically. Yes, that are not allowed to gather in groups of six or more. That. That is what is happening right now. Right now. But across the street, like you could have a, a church that is shut down, locked down. They're literally putting fences around their property. Right. Not, we're not making stuff up. I'm not saying this just to be colorful and, you know, passionate. This is, this is actually what's happening. But across the street, big box stores mm. are wide open. Yep. You know your 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 Costco's, your Best Buys, your whatever are com- are wide open. You can go and gather there. Yep. But literally across the street, churches are being shut down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's in in those in those Christians, I mean, they're literally getting arrested at this point. Yes. And I would so say what's next? That when I heard um, it's been a couple months ago when Andy Stanley in Atlanta on uh, some national interview. Uh, and I, it might have been in reference to one of the guys in Canada, but it was for sure in reference to a couple of pastors who had opened up and were challenging the government that he said that he was uh, embarrassed hmm. by churches like ours is really what he's saying. Um, I don't know Andy Stanley. He's probably a really, probably a really great guy, really nice guy. His church is very large and does a lot of great things. And I'm like, mm. I, I I can't look at that and look at what like our church. So again, the families in Pakistan, the families in India, the families in Nepal, the, their lives have been changed this last year because we gathered, because we opened it up and allowed people to generously give. I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to him to sit in the room with one of these slave families and tell him that he's embarrassed, he's embarrassed. That, that conduit opened up. I'm kind of embarrassed that he said that. I am too. And let me ask you, how many massive outbreaks did you have here at Conduit? Exactly none. Oh, none. that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, there was a thing. I'll tell you, it was really wild. So back in uh, December, uh, a local reporter wrote a hit piece on Dave Ramsey, and it was about his uh, his Christmas program and Christmas party. And you know, he found a couple of uh, disgruntled employees, and they found a couple of ER docs that are like, oh, you're, you're disrespecting us. And, but right in the middle of the story, he says, there's a thousand people on staff, and this is six, seven months into it, in a company that doesn't require masks, in a company that... He basically said, you got to come to work. And if you don't, uh, if you don't have a medical reason, then you are fired, which is what really made people like this reporter angry. But in the story, he says 100 cases uh, over this in December. I'm like, so I actually called the guy. Dude, 100 cases. That's the story. Only 100 right. cases. Exactly. Like rephrase it. That's the headline, man. You just buried the lead in this thing. This company has this is amazing news. Why are we not reporting this? As opposed to using it as like some sort of a you know a hammer against him, I'm like a hundred of those, and you know we we have friends that work in HR there, and they were able to confirm that a bunch of those, a bunch of them were from like 
Thanksgiving or some other thing. It wasn't even from work. And so point being that like reopening, he, his company has continued to save people from debt. They've continued to help people financially. They have given their people hope that Mm -hmm. are working. They're not locked up. And I guess, you know, I mean, gosh, we've been all over the board. I feel like interviewing David Lee Roth or something, but, uh, with us, uh, for conduit itself and this series and whatever church you're part of, wherever you are, like we've got to look at what is we're doing that is essential mm-hmm. and double down on it. Yeah. And we got to look at places where we could be working that are, that we aren't, that are essential and, and dive into that, you know, whether it's addiction and I, I don't think every church can or should do everything. Uh, you know, Church of the City does a, a wonderful work like with uh, single moms and helping them with the getting, getting their cars repaired. That's amazing. We should, you know, applaud that. We can't do that here, but we can help with addiction recovery, Place of Hope in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, but figuring it out and diving into it, it, it's almost like as much of a, when you plant a church, you got to have the worship pastor, you got to have the youth pastor, the children's pastor, the way, all these things, which, you know, are important. But at the same time, we need to have like, okay, who's the one that's going to be running the point when the next tornado hits or when the next hurricane hits? And you haven't been around here, Eric, but I promise you the next hurricane hits, we'll do the exact same thing we've done every other time, which is we park a semi-trailer out front and load it up and load it up. And as soon as it's full, we send a team in and go to work. Yeah. Deploy the assets. Because that's what Jesus people do when you act like Jesus together. They respond. Yeah. What do you think, man, when it comes to... So as a 33-year-old, so when I was 17 years old, 18 years old, I was listening to Bon Jovi, living on a prayer. <laughs> I had a <laughs> I had a glorious mullet. I bet you did. Yeah, I could see it. The oh. Kentucky Waterfall, is that what you called it? Missouri Compromise. The Missouri Compromise. <laughs> yeah, because it was spiked on top and permed in the back. <laughs> oh, my word. Straight out of Nebraska. 100%, man, and I was so proud. Uh, but you were born. Yeah. Uh, that year, so... That's it, how it started. Uh, turns out... Um, what is it that you right now, you're a family that's a uh, young family. What is it? We hear so much about millennials and millennials leaving church and why they're leaving the church. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you guys leaving the church? Yeah. It's a really simple statement. When you say that church is an essential and you shut it down, a millennial is going to say, well, when, what's the point? What was the point in the first place? The second you make something essential, it becomes a gym. I mean, unessential hmm. or an option it becomes a gym. Yeah, it's January. I need to lose some weight. I'm going back to the gym. February rolls around. I'm not going anymore. That's what church has become when it doesn't have a mission, when it doesn't have a an identity of actually going and doing things. And I think what our generation has been looking for, searching for, is something that has life in it. Hmm. What are you actually doing? What What's I see all this money coming in. I see the building. We drink the good coffee in the lobby. I get it. But what are you actually doing outside of that? Uh, you're going to point me to a life group. Or, those are all good things, but they want, they want an outcome. They want something to happen. And that's why millennials that start companies, they sell a pair of socks and give a pair away, right? They, mm. they sell a pair of shoes, give a pair away. Um, there's always an outcome that's attached. And so... When, when you started what you started and when you responded the way you did, I believe it significantly changed the destiny of Conduit Church. Hmm. I believe it actually set you up on a foundation 
to reap the new church that's going to evolve out of this, which involves the millennial and the next generation and the younger generation, and they're all impact-focused. And so that doesn't mean we don't have to pay for the church and pay for the, the stuff that it takes to put on a good service. We want to come together and celebrate. But we also have to be worried and, and moving for the community, for the outcome. And that's why they've gotten lost in social justice causes. At least they're marching. Yeah, doing something. Yeah. At least I'm mean, walking. At least I got to go out there and I was a part of it, you know? Yeah. And so when they come to a church and it's like all internal... What do, what do they think? They're like, why are we even here? What's the purpose of this? I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm coming to a building, right, it's to do something. If, if nothing happens, then they leave going, well, I guess we'll find something else to do next Sunday because it's, it's just void. And yeah. I, one thing I've noticed in millennials, and we disciple a lot of them, one thing I've noticed consistently is the lack of identity. They don't know who they are and they don't know what they're supposed to do. And that's because the church has lost its identity in so many cases. When you close down, you are telling your future children, you're telling your whole children's staff, your children's department, your, your, your kids that are in youth group, you're telling them that this is not as important as we said it was. Hmm. And they have not even seen the outcome of that wording or that action yet. These churches that shut down and stayed shut down and stayed on that side of the, they have not seen the fruit of the seed they planted yet. Hmm. And they'll see it in the lives of their young people. They'll see it as they make church an option later. And when you have generation after generation making church an option, at some point it becomes irrelevant. That's where we're at. Yeah, I mean, I remember, those are hard words to hear. But, I mean, if you're a pastor listening to this and you're wondering why people leave in the church, you just heard your target audience tell you. But I remember, uh, like, with Kerry Newhoff, I, again, I don't know the guy. Actually, that's not true. He doesn't, he wouldn't even remember me, but he used to host a Canadian TV show for Christian music. I swear I'm not making this up. And he would book, like, Pam Thumb and Tammy Trent and wow. uh, Huntley Street or something like that. I think he was one of the Huntley Street guys. Anyway, but he was talking about how uh, this brand new mission field that we have, which I don't disagree with that. But a way that we're doing church differently now, which is people doing church in their living room. And I just, every time I listen to him say that, I'm like, ooh, I don't think that, A, I don't think that's accurate. Uh, but B, if that is accurate, we're in trouble because that is not uh, the way that God designed it. It's certainly not what the, the, it's not what the Christians in Iran are willing to die for, is to watch it on their phone. They're willing to die to come together. Yeah. Because there's just something about the way that we were designed and we are most effective in that moment. And I, I, I read something, someone sent me an email that, that uh, and I would quote, he didn't tell me who said this, but he heard it at a conference. So uh, if I figure this out or you recognize it, just know it wasn't my wording, but coming together. Cause one of the challenges then for the millennial, what I've seen when you get to the people that are marching, they think now I'm going to march and that's going to solve the problem and gather, I'm going to do this. And, but th that is like, it is action. How does it say? Activation without an encounter is what mm. this guy says. So you're, you're being activated to go do something, but without an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that's philanthropy. That's social good. That's uh, It's a free sandwich and no hope. Uh, and by the way, it all leads to Marxism yep. and socialism. I vividly remember in my early days when I was trying to blog this stuff out, realizing just how close some of what we were doing would have come to Karl Marx as far as 
helping, redistributing. But the major difference was that Karl Marx would have forced them and socially like hammer them home. And the Holy Spirit would never do that to anyone. This was these people that in Acts 2 that brought sold property and brought it and laid it at the disciples feet and they gave to the poor and stuff. The Holy Spirit led them to do that. They were activated. And at the same time that an encounter, this is what he says, without activation is, an, is entertainment. So if all we come here on a Sunday is we have a great experience, which we did on Sunday, but there is no activation, then we just had a good show. Yep. And neither of those are God's plan for us, including sitting on your TV. And, and I say this knowing that there are people, and I know Bonnie Ross, if you're listening, some people right now, there are seasons in your life where you're not able to gather with God's people. Uh, Bonnie comes to mind. She's the one, she led me to Jesus in a, third grade, second grade in Nazarene church. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, and she's caring for her uh, home care for her uh, husband who is ailing and sick and dying. And so, and here's this woman who is like counselor. She's very, very talented and God's not even nearly done with her, but so she's home. So I recognize that there's a season for that, but that's not who I'm talking to. Yeah. Cause that's the thing, Eric, you know, and Mo, like we're not trying to convince the government of this. I'm done with that. Yeah. You know, they take the keys from my cold dead hands from this church we're not cutting it down again but mm. i'm trying to convince you if you're listening to this that you gathering with jesus people and activating like having an encounter with the holy spirit and then doing something about it that's the church and candidly dear lord that's what we need in our world right now amen more than ever is we need jesus people raising up i mean there was a point i don't know if you know this mo but every hospital in downtown nashville at one point was owned started launched by churches because that's what jesus people did back then now baptist of course hospital baptist hospital right saint thomas saint, yeah 100 percent. yeah they're all corporate and whatever now but you know of course we can't start a hospital now because because we live in this free country that is you know bogging us down with regulations and whatever right but we can on the other hand continue to reach out and i do think that's part of what we're doing is with mental health and emotional health like the clean water issues of our day but to come together on a Sunday and then just say, yeah, next Sunday we'll see you there. It's, it's just not the way that Jesus meant it for. Over the years, over the past uh, you know, century or so, obviously, church was tradition. I mean, that's what you did. You gathered together. Uh, it was this, this, this sense of traditionalism. This is just what you did as part of church on a Sunday. Sunday morning, Sunday school, like all those things, especially in the... You know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s traditionalism of church, whether it was Catholicism or, you know, in the South, uh, you know, Baptist churches, that was just traditionalism. That pendulum swung all the way the other direction in the 90s to everything was contemporary. Right. Rock and right? roll. It was the show. It was the songs. It was, it was you know, modern music, even a part of your worship. And, you know... For all the things they were trying to correct, they overcorrected. Yes. So you went from traditionalism to contemporaryism. And I feel like now, like where we're at as a church in 2020, the 2020s, the roaring 20s, is like we're essentialism. Like, wow. Yeah. Why are we doing what we're doing? Like, it's got to have a point, it's got to have a purpose. And so, like, that pendulum has just swung back and forth. And I would like to think that Conduit has landed in a place that's balanced yeah we're trying to aim for that right we're honoring the past building the future 
and landing on a, on having a point and in, in, in being essential to the community in front of us, to the world around us. Like we gather for a reason. But here's the thing: like this is not a new idea. And I think that's kind of what we're getting to. Right? And like, yeah. like I didn't just come up with something on a clipboard and like, wow. No, it's like that's a great idea. It's like it's like come full circle in a way. It's like we should be going back to the scripture for our foundation. Like for our direction, like this, this word is a living word. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I fear that some of our brothers and sisters have just lost the plot in rewriting the word, rewriting the playbook, trying to be relevant and cool and speak the language of the millennial and yeah. speak the language of whatever, of culture. Yeah, because a millennial is going to come in, right? And, and I'm just talking from my own, my own heartbeat, but I'm going to come in. And I'm going to see that family on the screen, and I'm going to go, that is awesome. That is awesome. And, you know, what, what you're talking about it are these things that the early church were devoted to. And after that, it says everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. It's that, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, yeah. that family just got freed. We just fed $200,000 worth of people uh-huh. in India. That is awesome. Awesome. Yeah, the root word of awesome yeah. is all. <laughs> yeah. They were in all. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, I think uh, a lot of what, and I was part of it. Like, I, my hands are not clean here. You know, I was putting rock bands in churches sure. to be relevant, you know? That's right. And I guess that it, it's like I don't want to discount, and maybe I should. I don't know. That's why I probably have those gold records in boxes because I don't know what to do with them anymore. Sure. I don't know. The, anyway. But that I still think there's purpose in music and all that. But it was like we thought that the language they were looking for was, you know, like a minute ago, Mike was like, "Oh, you got beef with someone." Like we're we're trying to learn the language, right? Um, but beef, learning what beef means. Yeah, you're saying? Got beef with yeah. someone. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, for dinner, Dad. You yeah, got beef with you? I'm like, yeah, I'm really hungry right now. But it wasn't the language of words; it was an idea barrier. So it's not a language barrier; yeah. it was an idea barrier. They were looking for the language of purpose, not the language of words. And and that was me, like literally 17 years ago. I'm touring the country. I'm in mega church after mega church, and and wonderful, amazing human beings that love the Lord and are doing great things. Uh, but I was thinking, I don't really, I don't know how to do this. Like this doesn't. And here's what I, I I did retire my position. I know I've said this before, but I feel like I have to remind myself. I've retired as Holy Ghost Junior, so it was no longer my job to convict you know everybody of their sin. Uh, and to keep my eye on myself and know that maybe, hey, in 10 years, 20 years, we're going to look at some things we did. And, man, we wish we'd have done this different or that different. So it's not a, as a casting judgment, but it is very much saying if you're wondering where millennials are going, I'm not sure that a more well-crafted uh, apologetic is what you need. Um, I think you need a well-crafted uh, administration of the kingdom of God into the into the nations and into your neighborhoods. And uh and it's not even it's like to say that it's not to try to, it's not literally like I'm not handing out a gospel track in the form of a can of soup. Like it's what we were designed for. So the awe that they were feeling is it was, uh, Jesus said that, Hey, let, let your light shine before men that they may see your good yes. works and glorify God, not glorify us. That's the thing is like, forget what millennials want. It doesn't even matter. They just want what Jesus wants when it comes down to it. If we just do what he told us to do. Right. They're going to fall. They could call it dope or fresh or cool or whatever they say. And the generation, I don't even speak their language. The younger people than me. 
but everyone's going to agree that in some way, shape, or form, or word, it's awesome. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in this room, we have a a 50-year-old, a 40-year-old. That really hurt, dude. When you said that, oh. Oh, dude. Well, I know it was dude, true. Embrace it, bro. I'm trying. <laughs> a 50-year-old, a 40-year-old, and myself, a 30-year-old, and Eric, and a 20-year-old in Micah. Huh. Which is so cool to see that. You just in in this space, just as an example, yeah, of just the, the the generations that are represented, and and how we can all work together towards this yeah. common goal. Yeah, like it's not we've made it a, like this ageism thing. Yes, yeah. and but it's not. I, yeah, because I would say when you even go back to the church at Corinth, the church at Acts, whatever. But this isn't again a brand new idea. When when Paul said Second um, Corinthians nine. God loves a cheerful giver, right? I've how many offering sermons, right? Have we heard, you know, get your offering envelopes up. Uh-huh. God loves a cheerful giver. Everybody get excited. But again, in context, the chapter eight and nine, he's right, they're taking an offering for the saints in Jerusalem who were poor, who were suffering and were in famine. And we're going to give this money that you're going to give, and you're going to give it to these people in Jerusalem who are suffering. God loves a cheerful giver. That's the context. And it turns out, that is, pr- I'm, people get real fired up when that happens. Yeah. Yes. Right? So the onus is not on the giver to have to force yourself to be cheerful. The onus is on us to give them an opportunity to give to something that we have vetted that feels like the right thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the, th- and I truly, I 100% believe this. It's one of the reasons why church is essential. Could you go out right now on a corner and give your money to a poor person? 100% yes, you could. And maybe ruin their life when they go down the street and buy a dime bag and whatever else they're going to do with it. There's a book called Helping uh, When Helping Hurts. I read it every year. I think everybody should read it. But one of the great things that a church gets is by the time we offer and say, hey, this is what we think we're the good opportunity here. We've already vetted it, man. We've been, and together, we can do more. Somebody on uh, came to visit us at a conduit, you know, uh, a service a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the crisis in India, could have probably given 200 bucks and someone gave 100,000 bucks. But together, everybody gave mm. $200,000. And we were all in awe of that. And today, literally right now, they're probably in bed by now because it's India. They're a little bit ahead of us on time. But today, thousands of people ate who would not have eaten otherwise because we came together and gathered as God's people. And we were all in awe of that. Like we were in awe of that. And that that will always be essential. 100%. And for us, when we move into this series, I just wanted to remind us as a church that we might have nicer chairs and praise Jesus. Yes, Lord. <laughs> uh, and we might have a better sound system. And I, God's yes, people said, "Amen." Like right. you know, that that that's its own thing. Uh, but we're also we're not going to quit this other stuff. We're just not. We can't. Jesus didn't want us to. I don't want to grow old, not doing this. Like even at fifty, because I guess that's the thing when you talk about the age of it. Like that's Second Corinthians eight and nine. They're talking to a church then that get excited about it. We always hear, and you've been around uh, nonprofits, and so have you, Mo, and both you and Eric, both. But there's always this mystery of this, like the the mysterious large donor. So you're all trying to find him. And by the way, if you're a, a very wealthy person, you know this. What everybody else knows, which is thousands of people are trying to get to you. So for us, it's not. We're trying to knock down the door, but they're looking for the same thing that as someone who is your age is looking yes. for, which is I just want to know if I'm going to put this money someplace that it's going to do more work there than it's doing sitting in my bank account. You got it. And that's the same. And so we have learned, especially if you're a pastor, I have seen it over and over and over again. When we put out a a call and an invitation to help a specific thing, 
it never affects our monthly budget. Nope. Ever. It's the weirdest thing. In May, 200000 just for India. That doesn't include Operation Freedom and other things. And our monthly budget was just fine, like it just was, because God gives some people a heart to help the local church. That's right. And thank God for you. Your, your youth pastor thanks you. You know, we used to joke that, you know, uh, for people that never give to their local church, like some people, I, it's, just, it's between them and the Lord. It's why I don't sit around looking at who gives what, because it's just going to make me all crazy. But it is, it is kind of funny because I know some people that go to, they vote like a Republican, but go to church like a Democrat <laughs> because they, they never give anything to the local church. So I'm trying to, they want me to, the youth ministry and the children's ministry, but they sure don't want to help us get there. But at the same time, if somebody has donated, uh, this actually happened, donated $150,000 to ship a bulldozer to Uganda. I swear I'm not making that up. Uh, it turns out you can. Uh, I don't think Jesus is ticked about that. Like, I don't think Jesus is like, well, that didn't really count. Uh, so technically, you know, that's not your, you know, when you let go of all of that, God yeah. takes care of it. And so when people say, how are you guys do so much at conduit? The answer is I don't, we don't, mm. we just let go and let God lead the people. And he just does it over and over and over again in this series. Um, in fact, starting this Sunday, we talked last week about what it meant to be devoted and devoted just simply is like it's 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 a love thing it's not a discipline thing thing that I'm committed to but at the same time I have to decide what I'm going to be devoted to uh and they were devoted to the his doctrine they were devoted to fellowship to breaking of bread and to prayer it was those four things and that was it and as we get through this summer, my hope is that for each of us in the conduit family, that we can take a look at each one of those. I was showing Mo my macros. I'm, you don't know this, Eric, but I'm going to be huge by this time next year. Like I'm lifting weights. I'm like eating right or I'm eating right. Or, but I'm looking at my macros and realizing there's some things I got I to adjust protein. I need to get less of this and more of that. And it's this, man, these four things, man, dialing them in, prayer, fellowship. And by the way, fellowship is the word koinonia. And fellowship is the word that, is used when Paul said, we're sending you an offering to the saints in Jerusalem. We are sending you our fellowship, mm. uh, our koinonia. He says it again in Romans 14, talking about that same group. Uh, fellowship isn't just sitting in a circle. Fellowship is doing something while you're in the circle that matters outside of the circle. But this week, we're going to attack the very first one. The apostles, do uh, apostles teaching is what it says. Apostles yeah. doctrine. Uh, the truth matters then it's always mattered listening right now to some of these talking heads talk about how frustrated they are because the truth is what matters. Like mm -hmm. I believe a revival of truth is where our nation is headed in truth is mm -hmm. truth. And Jesus said, I am the way I am the truth I'm mm -hmm. the life. He said, I'm the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we're going to start with that this weekend. We, we focus on the Bible. If you're around a conduit church, you know that, the Bible is where we go for God's word for us and his word turns out you go through the word, the word goes through you yep. and it changes you. That's right. I mean, you don't, are you still leading a Bible study with some 20 somethings where you're five at? years strong, man. five years strong and no plan to quit. Curious now, actually, I'll ask you this question and then we're going to be done here. The, um, when I started the Bible study with a bunch of young musicians, the only goal I really had was that I had lead singers of bands and whatever bass players that didn't know the difference between Jonah and Noah. And so I just thought we should probably learn the Bible. But then it forced me then to, I'm going through the Bible. 
And when the Bible went through me, somehow in that, I never woke up and decided I now care about these kids in Haiti. But one day I woke up and cared about these kids in Haiti. And I look back and think the one thing that was different that wasn't there before was I had this commitment to the word that I didn't have before. When did your heart for mission form in you? Yeah, it it started right when I fell in love with the word of God. Um, I realized that this is what makes his heart beat. You know, the, the call of scripture is he saved us despite us. And he did it for a reason. And that reason is his people. We're here for his people. We're here to help people, to love your neighbor. And so I, I went to India. That was my first trip. And it was right when I, I, I think I started picking up the Bible knowing I'm going to India. I better figure out what this thing says. And my wife and I <laughs> yeah, If said, you're going to India especially, you better figure that out. I'm like, you know, and my wife and I, we sat down and we power read it you know, in like 90 days and um, just out of conviction, like yeah. this love letter written to us from God himself. We say we love the Lord and we've never like, can you imagine you've, you've been separated from your spouse and they write you a love letter and you just leave it folded up on, on in the office table? You know, it's it's so silly. So we just popped it open. And wow, the renewal of our mind from that point, though, that was just the beginning and now, and each day, it's like more revelation of he's still way more serious about these people than I am. And, yeah. and I've been all over the world, and so have you, but he's still way more serious about them than we are. And we have to catch up. Mm-hmm. And the Word does it, man. The Word is referred to as a seed in the Scripture. And the seed falls in the ground, the Word would go in the seed, the sower sows the Word. Uh, and it, and the, the fruit that it grows, man, is yeah. that. So it's like I, when I hear somebody say, I don't have a heart for mission or I don't have a heart for this, I'm thinking, well, get in the Word. You'll get there. Yeah. God will raise it up in you. So that's what we're going to hit this Sunday. If you're in the, the Nashville area, man, we'd love to have you join us. We actually kind of have some room now. Well, that might be a stretch. No, nah, we've got room. But we do have new service times. I want to make sure everybody's aware of that. Yes. 9 a.m., 11 a.m., we've, we've gone to two services. And our live stream that many of you uh, tune into is at 11 a.m. Central Time on the YouTube channel. And so, and also, we, uh, we posted, put up, uploaded on Friday our brand new website as well, by the way. And it looks amazing. It looks incredible. Shout Nick, out to Nick DeParty. Nick DeParty. And uh, conduitchurch.com has all the information. It should be laid out very clearly. Uh, and it looks great. And you can find uh, all the information that you could possibly want to know about anything happening here at Conduit Church or Conduit Mission. So get in the Word. Get on your knees. Get with God's people. And breaking of bread, man, we, uh, I believe it's a Jewish idiom for communion. Uh, man, get on your knees and get in the gospel. The communion is just us preaching the gospel to ourselves, and he knew we would need it. Uh, that's why we do it every week here at Conduit. Uh, but this Sunday... Acts 2.42, we're going to look at what it means to be devoted to God's Word. And Eric, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for coming down to Nashville to hang out with us. Absolutely. Hopefully we get to do it again. Yeah. And thank you guys for listening. We will catch you next week.